Uh, one thing I'd even want to add is uh, that remote detonator, when you're pushing an undead model, that can be a corpse candle. So it's blowing up, handing out damage and injured, uh, drawing a card, and you're getting a pyre marker that's dropped under whoever you just blew up on. So it's, it's really a bad day for them. Howdy friends, Craig here. Time for another Malifaux deep dive. This time it's the Resurrectionist Master, Reva. We cover how the first M3E errata improved Reva and made her competitive. Spoiler alert, a fast, high damage dealing master is a good thing. Our guests go over some of the key tech picks that they bring in and which models they leave off the table. Keep in mind this was recorded before the most recent errata, so their comments on lamp pads is different. Uh, since the change. So make sure you look at the change to lamp pads in the most recent errata. Stick around to the end. They offer some very interesting thoughts about the new explorers. All right, sit back, relax. It's time to talk about Revel. Enjoy. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. In a world where life hits you from all sides, you deserve time to relax, disconnect, and unplug. Cool books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Craig here on the third floor for yet another episode of Tabletop Talk. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Resurrectionist Master, Reva, and how the Revenant crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guests today are Brian Bauer and you and Bailey Teeley. Both have been on the show before. Brian comes out of the very competitive and aggressive Texas meta. You've heard him on one of our Path to Podium episodes. So, Brian, how are you? Welcome to back to the third floor. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So we got a couple things to quickly discuss. Talk to me about the World Cup. So the World Cup has been a lot of fun. It's pretty much just uh, players from all over the globe are competing in events to see who's the best of the best and gets invited to a global masters. Um, it's really fun playing against players from all over the world. Um, I have a game in a couple hours against someone from the Poland meta. So that's going to be exciting. Now, did you play in 2E, Brian? Yes, I did. Um, so in 2E, Poland was uh, an infamous meta. Um, very aggressive, uh, played a lot different than most of Europe. Um, so I'll be very interested whether that has carried through, um, whether you have the same um, players, you know, that from 2E into 3E. So you'll, you'll have to report back. How about uh, some non-Malifo gaming? You do anything uh, other than Malifo? Yeah, uh, I recently picked Fallout 76 back up. Nice. With their new expansion. Um, thought I'd give it a go, and it's been a lot of fun lately. Uh, so I've been playing that, and then I picked up Ocarina of Time again. Which, What's that? Uh, the Nintendo 64 Zelda game. Oh, like, okay. going old school, like, way back when. Um, I found my old box, and I said, you know what, let me hook this up and play through this again, relive my childhood, and it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Ewan plays out of Australia, and it was also featured on a Path to Podium episode. In fact, we talked about Reva on that episode. So, Ewan, welcome back to the third floor. Thank you for having me. 
So, my friend, we know you've been uh, playing some Alpha uh, because it, uh, best mm-hmm. as I'm getting reports from your area, you guys have the pandemic in a much better situation than we do here in the U.S., which is a low bar. Um, but <laughs> um, what other than Malifo, what have you been up to uh, gaming-wise? Um, a lot of Crisis Protocol. We've actually got a uh, get-together day for that tomorrow. Loving that. And I've recently picked up uh, Infinity with N4. Wow. So let's talk about MCP first. What are you liking about it? I love the flexibility. I love the interactions. The models are brilliant. I've just converted my Storm to have a Mohawk because it was a criminal nice. criminal that she didn't have that alt head available. Um, <laughs> I'm just loving the, the thematic nature of the abilities, the simple rule set that makes it really easy to just sit down and pick up a game. Lots of fun. Yeah, you can tell that those guys over at Atomic Mass um, looked at Malifaux because you can see some Malifaux in the rule set. Um, mm-hmm. the, one, the way I pitch it to a lot of people is it's kind of Malifaux light. Um, so it's not nearly as deep as Malifaux, but it's, it's deeper than it first appears. Um, it's it's, a, it's an impressive rule set. Mm, absolutely. I'm loving it. Yeah, and it um, the thing I love the most about it, and it's part of what I love about Malifaux, is like when you play Malifaux and you get into it, not only do you have like the mechanical... Uh, you know, uh, competitive aspect of it, but it's also got its own like, feel, right? It feels like monsters and demons and cowboys and stuff like that. With MCP, like it feels superheroes, like oh, Hulk yeah, feels not, like Hulk, and nothing yeah, quite like throwing a truck at someone, you know? Exactly, picking up a bus by with Hulk and throwing it into Storm's face. Um, now, Infinity is a game that I tried years ago and hated, um, but I'm hearing that the new rule set is pretty good. Uh, very uh, very streamlined compared to what I've heard of third edition. Uh, I'm really getting. I'm missing alternating activations from Malifaux yeah. and Crisis Protocol. Um, I used to play a lot of 40k and War Machine, so the one, my turn, your turn thing isn't quite my speed. Uh, but they, there seems to be a very high bar to entry. But once you're over that, it's going to be very easy to understand nowadays. I don't think I realized that Infinity does not have alternate activations in the new rule set, and I, that baffles me. It the, really the way, does the way because... it works is every time you move one of your models, every one of their models that can see that model get to do something. Oh, okay. All right. So, so, so it's not I walk go, forward, I your guys can get out of the way or shoot me, or and then it's all contested. Got it. So it's more like a firefight. Okay, that's better. All right, so it's not yeah. as bad as I thought it was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Brian, have you had any interest in any other uh, mini games, or are you all Malifaux all the time? So uh, I really want to pick up Marvel Crisis Protocol once COVID's over, or at least when we can get out of our houses. Um, but, I mean, other than that, I, I played, oh, my God. <sighs> I can't remember the name of the game. Um God tier. Uh, I've yep. played a lo- couple of games of God tier, and that's a fantastic board game slash miniatures game. Um, it's just so simple yet complex at the same time. It is. It's a good game. It's what Shadespire was supposed to be, and it wasn't. Um, oh yeah, I picked up Shadespire because I was like, oh, this looks like a fun game, and then I played it. And said, no, this is this is a deck building game. Yeah, it's a card I, game. Yeah, I, I like deck building games but not with models. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so. it, it um I was I, it was sold to me by people that weren't familiar, that hadn't played magic, right? So they were super like excited about it and 
it's because it was their first exposure to that type of gaming. And once I got into it, I'm like, well, shit, this is like magic with really expensive tokens. Um, and, you know, so I, I appreciate people that love it. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's a bad game, but to your point, Brian, it's not a minis game. And if I want to play a card game, I'll play a card game. And quite frankly, I won't play Shadespire. I'll just get on magic arena and play magic. Cause it's a better game. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm with you. <laughs> so guys, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Reva and the Revenant uh, and the Revenant crew. We're going to dig deep into how both of these gentlemen build the crew, how the crew plays, some key tech pieces um, that they bring in based off of the strategy, scheme pool, and the opponent. And we're going to even talk about at the end how to counter uh, this crew. So, Brian, let's start off with you. Um, let's pretend someone listening has never played Reva, or maybe the last time they did was in second edition, and she's a lot different now. Um, what is your kind of your elevator pitch? Um, how would you describe her style? All right, so, so Riva is a face feeder that sets things on fire. Um, she's super quick, so she's moved seven. She runs all across the board, setting things on fire, ripping fire off her friendly models, and just beating people's faces with it. Um, like, she's a, she's a monster on the table. It's amazing. Yeah, she's definitely a beater, but do you consider the keyword a, a, a beater keyword, or is there some uh, other style aspects to the crew itself? It It's a very... The, the keyword itself is very aggressive, uh, which obviously fits my play style. Yep. Uh, the keyword's hypermobile. It's quick. It uh, does a lot of damage output, and it supports itself in order to be a monster on table and probably tries to table its opponent very quickly. So I'd be curious, you and do you consider uh, Brian's assessment pretty accurate, or do you have anything to add or counter? Uh, pretty accurate. The crew, and especially Raver herself, can put out an incredible amount of damage. If I needed to sum up Raver in one word, it would actually be consistency. I mm. find that her crew is, you're not going to put them down. You're not going to stop them hurting you. You're not going to stop them getting where they need to go. Raver's just a crew that you're not going to be able to stop. If you want to go against her, you're going to have to play around her, not through her. So unlike a lot of other aggressive crew, uh, masters and keywords she's it sounds like you don't think she's a glass cannon i'm uh, not particularly overall with the crew itself she's got some vulnerabilities but uh i find her crew to be quite tough yes that, that yeah she's definitely um she she's definitely she can be a glass cannon but her crew has so many abilities that prevent it from being a glass cannon it's just it's amazing so, um, Ewan, for, for you, um, can we talk through uh, some of those offensive capabilities? So when we say she is, a, as a master, as a model, is very offensive, what, what, what makes her that way? Well, straight up, she's got min three. Three, four, five damage track is always good to see on a beating model. Um, but the, the big thing with her is just the amount of the board she can threaten at once. Just this one model has this incredible threat range effectively including the charge itself she's got close to a 17 inch threat one charge she could make three attacks 17 inches away from where she started and that's including eight inches past her to a corpse marker and then the corpse marker and then two inches from that corpse marker by the time it's turned three to four there's not a model on the opponent's side that you can't remove if you need to um, and it's just this omnipresent pressure and threat that Raver puts out. And a lot of her crew can do similar tricks with the speed that Brian talked about, that you just, you never know what you're going to lose next. 
What's crazy about that is, you know, usually when people talk about aggression and they talk about damage output and threat, um, they immediately go to the attack, right? And look at the damage track. And what you have to look at first with her is that move seven, which is oh, yeah. unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's really good. And, you know, then the ability to arc. So, Brian, can we talk about that mechanic a little bit? What she does with corpse markers? Yeah, so she has, uh, on her ethereal reaping ability, while she's unengaged, uh, she can draw range and line of sight uh, from friendly models with either shielded or corpse markers within eight inches. And it's a two-inch melee. So essentially, it's a 10-inch range if it hits the max. Actually, 11 if you count the base of the corpse marker, right? Um, but because it's a melee, she can charge, which then she can take the melee action through something eight inches away. Um, so a lot of our crew also pulses out shielded. So, you know, you can give your, your model shielded and then she can charge and attack it, attack through it, which allows you to apply a surprise threat to your opponent. Um, because, you know, your opponent will think they're safe and then a model will get shielded right next to it and goes, oh God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she also has a thing that helps out a lot. And I'm listening to her keyword a little, or one of her key abilities a little bit is, as her return, she pops out a corpse candle within six inches uh, targeting a corpse or a pyre marker and just throws a corpse marker down, which essentially just adds extra corpses to the table and just gives her a, was a, a nine inch melee yep. um, right off the bat with no discarding a card, no uh, resource spending of any kind. It's just, boop, here's a nine inch threat range and you're now engaged. You know, and, you know, obviously we're going to get into, you know, how to play against her. But one of the things people listening need to remember, um, because it's it's something that seems obvious, but you don't catch the first time is she can charge and get three AP attacks. Um, so and, and when, you know, typically with all other models, you say I'm going to charge and I need to be engaged after that. Right. I need to have my engagement range in in place to, to effectively use that. Uh, free attack from the charge but because of her arcing ability um it's a it's a totally different thing i can charge not be engaged and actually get three ap of attacks out of her so ewan um let's talk about her defensive capabilities what keeps her on the table uh well she's got a couple of good things channeled flame sort of works both ways this is an ability that was added to her card in the uh uh, it allows her to spend the burning from any friendly model within eight inches to get a positive flip to a jewel, which includes all defensive jewels. Uh, any uh, simple jewels that she has to take, it's a way to get positives to those, which focus can't actually do. Um, on top of that, she's healing every time she kills, and with everything we've already talked about, she is going to be killing. And then Revers have some other tricks that they can do if they need to as well, plus uh, healing on the back of a card, so... She, she'll take some damage when the opponent gets on her, but she will earn that HP back on her turn. And, and I think that ability is multi-layered, like you talked about, Ewan. So you, you not only have the ability to, to get the positives, you also have a me- mechanism to pull burning off of bottles that you don't want to be sitting there with burning come, you know, come the end of the turn. Um, and it also helps with hand pressure, right? Because you, uh, that's what positive flips do is it, it, it relieves some of the hand pressure um, from that, especially considering she can do it, you know, to help with target numbers and everything like that. Brian, uh, it, um, I think that was a big addition uh, post errata for her, don't you? Yes, that was that was huge. And that took her from being an OK master to being probably one of my favorite masters in Resers. Um, I think I saw the math a while back during the Nicodem era where 
positive flips, don't quote me on the exact math, but I think a normal flip, your average is a seven. If you have a positive flip, your average flip is a nine. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she's only defense five, which is not great, but because of that positive flip, she's essentially defense seven because of that plus two, right? And it really helps with your deck management and your hand management. It's just, it's so nice to be able to flip two cards on for every duel and try to go for that high card to, to protect her. I think that throws a lot of people off. Yeah, it does. And, it, you know, th- that plus two to the stat is is mathematically correct, right? It, it doesn't play that way necessarily on the table. But the big thing that positives do when you can use them for defensive duels, for positive duels, is it relieves your hand pressure and it puts pressure on the opponent. It increases the chances that your opponent is going to have to cheat first. And any mechanism in Malifaux where you are ch- cheating second more often than your opponent is a huge advantage, huge advantage. Um, how about uh, you in supporting? Um, so does she in any way support the rest of her crew? Or is it just she gets rid of obstacles by killing models? Well, you've already talked about uh, removing burning from the crew. So the whole crew wants to be in pyre markers a lot of the time. Some of them use the burning themselves, but they also all get shielded through the keyword ability Spirits in the Flames. Once per turn, they can treat a pyre marker as hazard shielded. But it's once per activation, by the way. Activation. So if someone else fire. moves it on their turn, yes, that was a nice. misspeak. Thank you for catching that. Um, no worries. I've been playing too much Crisis, where turns are activations. Yes, I, I hate that ah, term. In it's the opposite way. It's throw, I've been playing Crisis for the last week and a half, and I'm like, turns <laughs> are activations. Turns are activations. That's funny. Um, so the ability to manage that burning from the models who don't necessarily want it, like your shield bearers don't want burning, your your Vincent doesn't want burning, um, a lot of your models don't need that, and being able to pull that off with Channeled Flame is huge, but she's also got Embrace the Flame, which has got swift action of the trigger. Um, an example of this is I was playing uh, Rebecca from the Path to the Podium I was on, who plays Chaos. And in one of Raver's activations, I removed close to 18 burning from my own crew that Chaos had spent two turns putting out. And I was like, all gone with one activation. Let's move on. Um, that ability to manage your own burning while healing your crew, while getting positives is insanely good. And she can also actually hand out a decent amount of injured in the right setup, which a lot of people I've seen don't really touch on. But um, the Inquired Dead is an incredibly good ability once you've got a couple of pyre markers in the middle of the opponent's crew so i'd be curious you and when you um it's turn one Mm -hmm. can we walk people through what a typical uh three ap spend is for her so how does she what does a first activation turn one look like for for reva i normally activate her quite late i've normally got a corpse marker over the halfway line already uh it'll either be alive as a zombie or it will be an actual corpse after the opponent has killed it and uh, a lot of the time, she will already have a focus from a Blasphemous Ritual. And then she will activate a second focus, charge, pull two burning, and make two attacks with focus. So she'll be on double positive to hit, single positive to damage. And whatever the opponent sent forward is either gone or really in a bad way. Now, um, for movement, are you pretty much, is it rare for you to actually walk with her? Or are you mostly just charging and attacking with her? Oh, mostly, yes. And what's incredibly useful for her is late game, you can charge towards an objective but then attack a different direction. 
you don't even have to go directly at who you're fighting. You can use that charge as a strategic walk and still get an attack out of it, which is incredibly AP efficient. Uh, Exactly, exactly. How about for you, Brian? What what do you do? Like, does she turn one? Is she activating late, just like with Ewan? Yeah, that that's ex- exactly what turn one is. Is usually swing at something with either one focus or two focus, depending on my card hand size uh, or my card hand strength. Um, so just charge, beat the beat the thing in the face that you can, and it should die. And then your up activation is going to round two, which helps so much. Um, something I, I want to touch on a little bit more that uh, that Ewing mentioned was the unquiet dead because this ability can make or break your game. It, it's insane. Um, <clears throat> so essentially, you target a pyre marker. Any models within two inches must pass a willpower 14 duel or take two damage again injured one. Um, it, you only need a four to get it off. And the kicker of this is its mass trigger is do it again, targeting a different pyre marker. So I can do it six times in an activation. And if you have three, you typically want three models that you're hitting with this, with each pyre marker. So you can force 18 willpower 14 duels or take two damage gain injured one every time. And that will bleed your opponent's hand immediately. Yep, exactly. Um, and it's, uh, I've had people that just, they're, they're devastated after that. Cause if that's your first activation is if you can put out that amount of damage, the rest of your crew just follows through and they're table. Um, it's honestly one of the surprise abilities. And it's not something you're going to use all the time. Because it's not always set up, but there, anytime you see the opportunity and you can go for it, uh, it's so good, man. Um, and one of the things you can do uh, is a, a little, a fun little trick. I don't know if you want me to talk about this here, or if you want to talk about it later. Um, so, you know, she pops out her her corpse marker at the beginning of the turn. She's likely going to be uh, hurt. She's going to be damaged, whatever. Um, she'll feed on grief on her own corpse marker, which will kill it because it does two damage. She'll heal two. She'll heal another one because a model died within six inches. (laughs) She can heal again for one if she has siphon life. So she heals four, right? Um, Because she killed it, it drops two pyre markers. And now you have two pyre markers in the middle of their crew in perfect position where you can just light them up with the unquiet dead. Um, And like, because of that placement, you can just surprise opponents that they weren't ready for something like that to happen on turn one activation. And it's not great that, you know, you waste an AP doing the setup, but you're healing for three or four, which I will definitely take that trade off. And yeah, so that that gets into what we've been talking about, which is her ability to stay on the table. And, and what is starting to become apparent for me as a listener is it, you have a lot of flexibility. Um, you and I'd be curious, is is Brian overselling the Unquiet Dead or is, is he spot on? Oh, absolutely not. It is when people see. My when I put Raver on the board, I see my opponents look at our card and they go, All right, I'm gonna get rid of these corpse markers. I'm gonna stay away from these corpse markers. She's not Kairos, so people don't care about your pyres. They you're not gonna do too much fancy stuff with them, they think. And Raver loves forcing a controlled battle. If you can pick an area where you're gonna fight, I'll get into this later when we talk about schemes. Um but if you can force that fight, Raver is going to just chew through your opponent and that ability is so good for it um what uh brian didn't touch on is you can also use it a little defensively with its other trigger the crow trigger will actually pulse out shielded and a point of healing to every friendly model within two 
So in that brawl, if you're already if you're already in a good offensive position, you can just heal your own models too. Yeah, that's nice, and I think that um, that is that control aspect is is something that isn't immediately apparent. So that's fantastic. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to start building a crew around her. So we've seen that she is damage output. We see she's got some board control. Um, she see, you know, one thing to keep in mind with these pyre markers is now that we know what a danger these pyre markers are, you're now dictating placement of your opponent. Um, either your opponent's going to put themselves into jeopardy or they're going to start uh, losing some board control in order to avoid it. But how does the rest of the crew build? Uh, let's take a break and we'll find out. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So obviously, when we talk about the core crew, the first thing is Reva. And what comes for, for free is the uh, corpse candles. And we talked a little bit about the corpse candles, but um, you and I think there's still some things to understand. So let's talk mechanically how the corpse markers get on the board, how they act on the board, and what they do for her. Uh, so straight up, your corpse candle is a kind of almost a battery for Reva. You're going to be cycling through them uh, very quickly, uh, getting pyres, like Brian talked about. You can use them as a mobile corpse marker. Um, there's a two little tricks that I quite enjoy with them. The first is their bonus action. Uh, Light the Way, it's got no flips, it's automatic, and it allows you to move all corpse markers, push within three of the corpse candle, up to three inches. Um, this includes your other corpse candle, because you can have two, uh, any mindless zombies you have on the board, and it's that little bit of positioning to your opponent will play just out of your reach they'll ask you your threat range you'll tell it to them and then suddenly you're three inches closer 
Yep. And that, that change in math can be incredibly useful, especially in that early game where you're not quite stuck in yet. Late game, you everyone knows you're in a fight late game. You're going to take attacks. Early game, people play around that, and that sudden three-inch push can get you in range when you weren't before. Um, the second one is when a corpse candle dies, it drops a pyre marker. When a model from Raver's crew kills, they drop a pyre marker. So Raver, once you have lost one corpse candle, which I'll normally lose turn one, I'll target one of them with Blasphemous Ritual, get a pyre marker for some burning and shielded, get some focus, one corpse candle left. Raver activates, turns that one corpse candle into another corpse candle, and <laughs> two pyre markers. You discard nothing, you spend no resources, you just gain two pyre markers and 30 millimeters of movement on your corpse candle. Um, which is a nice way to sort of get some more resources out early if you need them. Well, it, it allows you to establish more of the control, right? Yes, and especially late game, you can use that. that just dropping two pyre markers, and it is a drop, so you can put them directly under enemy models. Um, dropping two pyre markers, late game out of one model with no cards or resource expenditure <laughs> on your part is a lot of fun when people realize you can do that consistently. Yeah, definitely. So now you and we've we've established that we've got Reva, we've got the corpse candles. What is the first model you add in the uh, M3E app when you're building your Revenant crew? Two Draugr straight away. Wow. All right. So let's talk about the Draugrs. What do the Draugrs do for you? Uh, well, they've got a lot of the standard tech for Reva. They're getting shielded by pyre markers. They're dropping pyre markers when they kill. Uh, they're tough. They've got hard to wound and blaze of glory. So same as we were talking about with Reva, that ability to just always have a positive flip is hugely beneficial um decent like they've got a two four five but with the amount of focus that a reza crew can hand out with blasphemous ritual you're going to be landing that four a lot without having to expend many cards in your part um especially when they have the puncture trigger which is just an amazing trigger gets you to those straight flips easily um and then what i love about them this is actually one of my favorite abilities that i I didn't start using properly until I'd played a lot of games with Reva, was Draw Off Flame. Uh, Aiden Trange, target any model with burning, play space to base, and take their burning. Um, if you've got fire on your enemy, get right in the face. But if you've got fire on your own model, that's an, a free 8-inch range disengage for your Draugr. You just leave the fight and attack someone else. Your opponent can't tie these beaters up. You can't just stick them, in the, stick them with a tank, leave them somewhere you don't care. They're going to leave. They're going to go wherever they want to go. This is a consistency I was talking about. Raver's going to do what she wants. You're not going to stop her. So I'd be curious, Ewan, with, with the two Draugrs, are you finding that they tend to occupy the same part of the board that Reva is threatening, or do you, do you spread them out to increase the threat range of the crew itself? Uh, it depends on the scheme pool and the okay. strat in question. Uh, a lot of the time, I'll spread them out a little bit. I like to send the Draugr up a little earlier than Reva, and present that sort of mid-range threat for early turn two. Um, a lot of the time, they'll be paired with uh, a corpse candle. When Raver summons her new corpse candle, that candle comes in with one burning. And that one burning is enough to teleport your Draugr. Right. And it just creates more of those unexpected threat angles that Brian's talked about. They'll just come out of nowhere. You're never quite sure where they're going to be, and they will put the hurt where, they need it, where it needs to be. Now, Brian, is, are Draugrs in every one of your core crews? So Draugrs weren't for a long time. I've been experimenting with them recently. 
Um, I am liking the joggers. I don't know about running two, um, but they're definitely everything that that Ewan was saying, where they can just teleport around. They're fun little threat ranges. Um, I mean, it's just like surprise. Here's a jogger with three burning that's going to use you know two plus flips and hit you in the face. You know, um, and same thing like Riva, where you know he only defends five, but he has uh, plus flips on all his duels. So on his defensive duels, he's plus flipping and it's going to be really hard to actually take him down. Yeah. Um, and then, so let's say that he is threatened. Uh, he does have the juggernaut ability, so you can pitch a card and heal one, two, four, which is just an extra way of keeping him up and alive. Um, I do want to mention one thing about the totems though, because the totems I think are are such a huge part of the keyword, obviously. Um, even though they're defense two willpower two, two wound models are, they seem like nothing. Um, so whenever you summon one, right, uh, it comes in with one burning, but if you place it inside of a pyre marker, it gains an additional burning because it's placing within hazardous terrain, right? So they come in with two burning and then a trick you can do is with their bonus, even if there's no corpse markers around, you pop it, give them a third burning for free. Oh. And the Reva can use the burning on those corpse candles for all of her attacks, um, and her defensive flips because she's pulling off other models. Um, so the totems are so big into how this group plays with this mobility, um, moving opponents around, moving your course, uh, course markers around, getting into position where you can actually thread the board. Um, so yeah, but overall, yes, draggers are a hundred percent amazing. I am fully sold after playing them recently. <laughs> so what is your first hire then, Brian? If it's not draggers and draggers are relatively uh, new and shiny for you, what has been your first hire? The shield bears are my bread and butter. Um, I used to hire two. I've now swapped one out for the jogger just in my play testing. Um, the shield bears are extremely tanky. Um, so they have the same thing with the final veil where they heal with, when models die. They have armor one. They have hard to kill. They gain shield when they're in, ha- when they're in power markers. And they have take the hit. So obviously they can pitch a card, defend Reva, defend the jogger, defend your key models, and become the focus of the attack. When they have shielded armor and hard to kill. Um, the other thing is on their melee, uh, this has a built-in heal. Target suffers two, three, five, and this model heals one. So they're extremely difficult to remove from the game. Um, while being able being able to output some good damage. Uh, they also have, like you was saying, the blasphemous ritual. So you typically want one so that way you can remove your course marker and pulse out focus to your crew, which ends up giving you that early game damage that is very surprising to some people. Um, And then also Shield Slam. Shield Slam is a surprisingly powerful ability. Essentially, the target suffers one damage. It's a melee action. And you push them up to two inches in any direction. Um, It does have a trigger of knock aside. So you can push them an additional four inches. And so... You know, if someone's on an objective for ley lines or if they're trying to hold position, you can just charge them, hit them with the shield slam, get them off that objective, get them out of the area, and you can control the board or push them into your pyre markers or your corpse candles and start trying to corral your opponents into the position that you want them to be in. Um, or you can use it uh, on your own models, right? You have so much shield in your crew that your shield bearer can charge, shield slam your, your model knock off it shielded and push it four inches or six inches away in any direction that it chooses. So um, if 
the Draugr or Reva is in a threatening is in a threatened position. He just says, nope, charges in, shield slams him away, gets him out of there, and engages the target, which now can't really get away because it's really hard to get rid of these models. Yeah, the little in any direction is a big piece, right? The, the give you that flexibility to to relocate a, a model. So you and um, how about you? Are you using the uh, shield bearers? Uh, I'm often taking one. Uh, I might take more depending on the objective. Uh, one thing I want to add to the shield slam uh, two things, actually. The first, which I've noticed a lot of people don't tend to do, but is really next level for Ava, is that six-inch push is actually a two-inch and a four-inch push. Yes. So you can bend it. You can go two inches oh, and then four right. inches a different direction. So that slight change is huge for getting deeper or getting out of line of sight. Uh, makes them, whatever they're targeting, it's incredibly hard to stop them getting away or getting into the right position. Your opponent can't really block up their crew as effectively. Um, I do have a small problem with them, which is why I don't take too many. Uh, they are competing for a low mask in your hand. You yes. need a low mask to get that knock aside. You mm. need a low mask to do swift action on Embrace the Flame on Raver. You need a low mask to do Perdition's Flame on Raver. Uh, a big problem for her, which I'll talk about when we get to her issues, is card management. That got better after the Arada because she used to have to discard a card to summon a corpse candle at the start of her turn. Doesn't anymore. But that just that alone, if, if I tried running two shield bearers and I found that I never had enough masks to guarantee what I wanted or I'd be having to spend nine of masks, ten of masks on just the push. Right. And, and it's one of those things too that people don't think about a lot of times when they're building crews, which is, is suit pressure. Um, and, and when you look at the, after you've built your 50 stones and you have to look at the crew and figure out where is the suit pressure going to be? What are the suits that different models needed? And sometimes if that pressure is too high, you might have to pull a model out and just say, you know what, when I theory fold this model, it's going to be able to do great things. But in reality, I'm using my masks elsewhere and I'm just not going to be able to get the utility out of this model that, that I need to because of that suit pressure. So I think that's great. So you and um, after you've looked at Dragor, after you've looked at uh, shield bearers, what is another common core crew model for you? Um, I would be going to a Vestile, which is the carrying emissary. That is in every one of my river crews. Um, it's a bit of a common pick, but honestly, turn one, the carrying emissary could put a a zombie or a corpse marker. Uh, I believe it's just under twenty one inches out from where it started, and that's the one you're going to use to kill something turn one. That's and on top of that, AOE injured handout is always amazing. I think injured is one of the strongest conditions out there, um, which stacks with the unquiet dead for another source of injured. Um, it's, it's just a strong model and helps with scheming. It helps with uh, your corpse production. And again, the co using coffin markers for board control and zone control, which is what Raver loves to do. Uh, it, fits, it fits really well in all of my crews, and I haven't left home without it. The... Um... You, I, you hear me talk about saturation a lot and there, the the ability to do any level of injured saturation can be devastating. And it's it, what it does. And again, this is becoming a bit of a theme here as we're talking about this keyword is it's it, the hand pressure you put on somebody by handing out injured is is incredible. It it, it, it devalues every card in their hand um, by, by having that injured itself. Now, Brian, from my understanding, though, you're not a big, big fan of the emissary. 
<laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I just, what keeps you from using it? Because it sounded pretty good when you and talked about it. Yeah, it looks great on paper, but anytime I put it on the table, it just doesn't seem to perform. Like, okay, you do get the quick the uh, far placement of the zombie that you can use, um, but with positioning, you can just get corpse candles to do pretty much the same thing. Um, it it's it has no real defensive tech other than hard to kill and terrifying, which if my opponent wants that thing dead, it's going to die turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, even with hard to kill, they're just say, okay, I'm going to save these cards in my hand. I'm going to hit the emissary. It's dead. It's gone. Uh, or if you don't want to get shot, you just have to engage it. Um, the big limiter for on it for me is it has a zero inch reach. Yeah. So a model with the one inch reach just charges in and says, okay, you have to waste one AP walking in base with me. And now you walk in and you have one, one AP to hit me back, right? Um, a zero-inch engage model is is awful in Reva's crew. Um, it just doesn't flow. Well, and the other piece of this, and people don't think about this sometimes, is it's zero a zero engagement is rough. It's really rough when the model has a big base because it is it's so hard sometimes, even with flight, to be able to get that carrying emissary where he needs to be to, to do an attack. Because when you've got a 50 mil versus a 30 mil, uh, it's a lot different getting into a, getting into base contact with something. So Brian, if you're not hiring the carrion, what's next after your shield bearers and you're looking at now at the draugers? It's either going to be Vincent or it's going to be Anna Lovelace are my two. It's, it's a coin flip, right? So if my opponent is a summoner, I'll bring her in keyword henchman because he has the exorcism trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on a crow with his, uh, on a, on a crow with his gun, he just removes a model from the game. So that big Jiro Gumo on the other side, just hit it with the crow. It just pops. It's gone. No big deal. Um, try to throw the whisper on him. So that way he gets card draw when he does that too. Nice. Which is just fantastic. Um, if my opponent's not a summoner or not a rezzer, uh, because his gun does ignore hard to wound. Um, and is the one that fits into that slot. Uh, Anna for one is just probably the best model in Rezzers. Mm-hmm. Um, she has so much versatility, but what she brings to a Reva crew is her bonus can push a corpse marker. Um, she can push a undead model like a corpse marker or a zombie three inches and then it explodes, which in hands out injured, uh, forces a simple duel, which puts additional hand pressure on your opponent. Um, and she draws a card off that, off that action. Um, also you cannot, your opponent can't target their friendly models within six inches of her, which they can't use the assist action to remove that you're burning off. Oh, of right. Um, so she has a lot of fun play. And then another big reason is she brings card draw to a crew that has zero inherent card draw. Um, I'll get into that later because that's huge with Reva. Well, what's very interesting to me about everything you just said is you didn't even bring up gravity. Well, well, like, because Gravity Well is is great inherently, but what it brings to Reva Crew isn't anything, right? Well, like, uh, Gra- no, I agree. My point is, is not only is she great with everything you just said, but she's also bringing Gravity Well, right? <laughs> yes. So, so like, if you didn't, if you weren't already sold after your pitch, then I go, oh yeah, she has Gravity Well too. It's like, holy crap, that's I mean, that's worth that's worth bringing her in. You and how about you? Are you ever bringing in uh, Lovelace? Oh, absolutely. Uh, one thing I'd even want to add is uh, that remote detonator. When you're pushing an undead model, that can be a corpse candle. So it's blowing up, handing out damage and injured, uh, drawing a card, and you're getting a pyre marker that's dropped under whoever you just blew up on. So it's it's really a bad day for them. Uh, she's 
an incredible model all round. I do not disagree at all that she's one of the best models in Revers. And she fits in really nicely to a Reva crew, especially due to the just how resource deprived you can be. How about Vincent? Are you bringing in Vincent uh, as corner case like Brian is uh, or never or always? Uh, corner case. I've, I've run him to great success into uh, summoners or people who run a lot of Encorp. Uh, he was my star piece in, a, in the Dreamer top table and the path to the podium that we had. Yep. Uh, he's, he's always felt almost a little conflicted to me, which stops me hiring him a lot. So he's got this this ten inch range sanctified crossbow. It's a great weapon. He's got rapid fire, so he can use it a lot in a turn. Good triggers on it. So he kind of wants to be doing that. You want to be you want to be sitting him almost as a turret, handing out as many of those attacks as you can in a turn. Though it is discarding a card in a crew with bad card management, so that is a major cost to consider there. But he's also got agile, so he can get out of engagement to keep using his gun, but. He's also, you'd want him a bit further forward to slip in and do schemes as you need to. And that, that always makes me feel like I'm not quite sure what I want him to do. Late game, I go, I need this man to scheme, but he's 10 inches back, nowhere near where he needs to be for me. So corner case, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. It brings up, I think, a uh, something that for people listening to think about, not just about Vincent, but in general, um, it's one thing to have a master that is very uh, flexible, right? That, that's versatile, like, say, for example, um, the Transmortis. Um, well, I can't think of his name. Why? Von Stuck. One of his God, strengths is his versatility, right? He's he's a jack of all trades. He does lots of different things. Um, it's a little bit more complicated when you're talking about a non-master model because really when you're hiring, you, you want to bring in a model for to do a very specific job. And if it does a couple things okay, sometimes it's not a real job for that model to do. So I think that's a, a good call out. So Ewan, before we wrap up on core crew, what are some other key models that you always bring in? It really depends on the composition. If I'm not bringing a shield bearer, I normally will bring a gravedigger for that blasphemous ritual. Yep. Uh, I also love their front of card ability, field of corpses. It can catch a lot of opponents by surprise, um, especially in Raver, because Raver is producing a lot of corpse markers on the board, but unlike a lot of other Raver masters, she's not getting rid of them. She's right. not consuming them for much. That's not also putting out a new corpse marker in the form of a corpse candle. Uh, the the fun part there is that Field of Corpses can actually count your corpse candles as scheme markers at the end of the game. So even if they're not dead, you can have two models over by a building, and you just go, yeah, that's a scheme marker now. I hope you have fun with it. So Gravediggers, I need to look at a lot. Gravedigger. Now, how about uh, Lampads? Oof. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> so let's make the case for why everybody needs to put their lamp pads uh, in, in, into the case collecting dust. Why Why are they not making it into your crew, Yun? Uh They are eight points for a defense four model with no damage reduction, and its only defensive tech requires you to discard a card in a crew that, as we have said many, many times now, has bad resource management. Yeah. And even then, you also need a pyre marker to get rid of. Which you don't want to do, right? <laughs> no, no. I'll often, I'll often bring one, and that is only if I need to go deep into the opponent's field because they are, they are the most independently fast model in her keyword, like other than yep. Raver herself. 
other than maybe a Draugr, but they don't, they all need something else, in my opinion. Like a Draugr needs another model with burning. The Lampad can just be deployed on the edge of the board and go straight up and do breakthrough for you if you have to do breakthrough, but I don't think that's their go to scheme forever. No, not at all. If like, you oh. have to, but in that case, you're probably playing a different Rather Master. Mm. Yeah, Lampads are just so bad. I mean, okay, so. Let's talk best case scenario, right? Yeah. Someone shoots your Lampad at defense four, doesn't have hard to wound, so they pop it. You lose a resource out of your hand. It ta- it places within six inches on a power marker. It heals three. They just shoot it again yeah. and make you pitch another card. Like it, there's there's no way to keep this Lampad up. Um, it just falls apart so quickly, hmm. and it's got some cool things: hovering flame. It can breath of fire, but it it just it falls apart so easily for eight stones that yeah. there's better models in your crew and if you really want a fast model like the one Yudo is my go-to for fast yeah. interesting yeah. why is he's that huge um so he's also move seven uh like reva he has trample so you go through other models when he goes through them they have to pass a 12 movement duel or take one damage game burning one so more simple duels to put hand pressure on your opponents uh they have mobile warriors so they can charge while they're engaged so if you try and engage them to stop them, they just charge out of it. They charge through you and force you to take a duel, uh, a duel, and then they're on the other side of the board, right? Right. Um, their melee is a stat six turn move, which most move is you know five. So they're plus one on their attack to whatever you're flipping. Uh, but on their attack, they get a free push up to five inches. So he he can charge, he can hit you, and then keep going, right? So in one AP, he can move twelve inches. And then he's on your side of the table. He's scheming. He's doing all those fantastic things that you want to do with your quick models um, while your rest of your crew ties everything up. Um, so I, I think if you really want fast, when you does the pick over yeah. pads. They, they can't really compete with him well. No. And he's no. a point cheaper. <laughs> Out of curiosity, did either of you bring in any other uh, versatile models? Um, I... I agree about the Gravedigger. I love the Gravedigger. There's a fun little thing. If you have two shield bears, if you have two shield bears, a Gravedigger and the Restless Spirit, actually, I don't think the Restless Spirit's required, but you can get three focus on Reva before she activates um, and then three focus on whatever henchman you bring. Um, so I do like the Restless Spirit and the Gravedigger. As for other models, there really is anything else. I know a lot of talk is like the Grave Golem is a big talk of like, oh my God, it's so cool. But it, it's so slow. Yeah. Um, and people just focus that thing down. And sure, it comes back, but I'd rather invest those points somewhere else in something that's going to do a lot more for my, uh, give me a lot more bang for the buck. Um, I know people have mentioned Archie, which is just a more expensive Grave Golem that's honestly worse for Reva. Yeah. Um, and then like there's Bone Piles, which are, they're okay, but they can't gain burning, so you can't use, you can't pull the burning off to heal models. You can't use it for your positive flips. So realistically, they they don't fit a Reva crew. So you and one of the things that I hear people are tempted and try is Azura um, as a versatile bring in for obvious reasons. Her interactions with mindless zombies, which are corpse candles. So like on paper, right? She looks good. Is there a reason you're not bringing her in? I actually tried to bring her in for a little while when I was starting Raver. I brought her a lot. Um, the main thing I'd say is she is stone hungry. Yeah. Stone and card. If you're bringing her, eight point model, honestly, though, you are taking the whisper on her every time. Mm-hmm. 
So she's really a 10-point model because you want that intuition to be able to know which suit you have to stone for for her summon. Uh, that's adding enough pressure already, and then that's you want to stone for every turn, so that's five stones gone. Right. And something I'd uh, mention as well is Raver herself uh, doesn't have a single inbuilt trigger. Oh. So if you're, if you're not cheating those triggers in, you're going to have to stone for them. And we talked already about Petition's Flame, uh, Swift Action on her Embrace of Flame, Scythe and Life on Feed and Grief. Really important triggers that just, you don't have a way to get them in every time unless they're bringing stones. And Asura will eat those stones off you. Even Exorcism on Vincent, if you're bringing him into a summoner, Asura is eating stones that your crew wants. And I just don't find a place for her anymore. It gets into that theme we've been talking about, about hungry models, right? She, she's mm. a hungry model. Lampads are a hungry model uh, from a resource perspective. Brian, are you the yeah. making the same case? Yeah, and, and, and let's be real. If you're spending a stone to get a mindless zombie on the table, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, that that crow trigger on the zombie apocalypse should be built in. Um, and then if you really want to do the come to me or swift action trigger, you should stone for that, spend a card for it. But... The fact that you have to stone or spend a, a low card that obviously the crew's resource intensive um, for a mindless zombie, it's just it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, and then also, she is easy to kill, like even with hard to kill, like she's only eight wounds, defensive five, no other real defensive tech. So she goes down just as quick as a lamp pad. Um, you can stone for uh, to reduce damage. But then you're using more stones on a model that shouldn't be eating your stones. So, so in your typical builds, Brian, how many stones do you bring with a rubber crew? Typically? Uh, seven to eight is wow. my go-to. Um, yeah, it because Reva is typically she's in the thick of it, so you need those stones just in case something gets through to keep her up. Because um, once an opponent realizes how <laughs> how awful she's on the table, they're going to send everything they have into her. And so I need those stones to keep her up or using them for like Vincent's triggers or using them for her triggers, um, which we'll get into second level play on that one. But uh, yeah, like my, my Reva crews are super stone hungry to keep her up. Yeah. How about you, Ewan? How many stones are you typically bringing? Uh, the same, seven to eight every game. Yeah, that's good. I do that good, with good. almost any master though. I'm a, yeah, I love my seven. Seven to eight. <laughs> If I bring six, I feel bad. Oh, yeah, you know no, what? I panic. We have really seen that change uh, a lot because if you go back and you listen to early deep dives and early discussions about M3E, um, there was really no talk of bringing more than three, four stones, which was really, even even in 2E, that was considered high to bring four stones. Unless you're uh, a summoner. Unless you're a summoner, right? Um, and I got to give credit to the uh, Virginia Meta, uh, the Eastern Virginia Meta, because I think they were the first ones that were saying, uh, and they had they had never played foe until three came out, and they're the ones going, "Why are you not bringing eight stones? Why are you not bringing ten stones?" And you know, the, there was discussions where everybody thought they were crazy, but I've noticed in the more conversations I'm having that uh, people are bringing more and more stones. So that evolution is uh, is very interesting, and it, it's something that's great about Malifaux because um, things change over time. It is not a closed system. It's such a complicated, deep game that there's a lot of different ways to do things, and the meta changes um, uh, on a pretty regular basis. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to get a little bit more specific about how we score points. So we're going to talk about building to the pool. We'll be right back. 
are so many online retailers, it can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift. And you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. The best thing that ever happened to Reva was the Gaining Grounds errata, right? She she became a much more viable uh, master and keyword. Um, the worst thing that happens to her is that she's in the same faction as Von Stuck, um, who is a phenomenal master and a phenomenal keyword. Um, I mean, uh, we talk about Lovelace. Lovelace is in keyword for him. <laughs> um, so uh, I'd be curious, you and you know, when you look at the strategies, um, when do you go, you know what? Reva is better than Von Stuck or any other Rezzer master. Where do you, where are you more likely to bring Reva in? Uh, well, it helps for me that I don't own Von Stuck. So that's, that's keeping help. him off my table oh, wow. for now. <laughs> um, I really like Reva into uh, Recover. She's good at killing. She's good at staying alive. And she's good at denying ground. So even when your markers drop, you can punish the opponent for going to get them. Right. Um, and I quite like her in Symbols of Authority just because of that speed and flexibility we've talked about. Uh, less so in Ley Lines because some of her mobility, especially for Draugr, which I've mentioned I always take two of, relies mm -hmm. on place mechanics. If you run more Shield Bearers, that's a lot more pushes. She's incredible in it. But my particular play style, the Draugr lose out on that if they have the Lodestone. So I tend to, I tend to shy away from it a bit more. So what's interesting is we've been talking about how aggressive and deadly she is, and you did not mention public enemies. So <laughs> is there a reason that, is there somebody else you usually bring into public enemies? Um, do you hate, just hate that strategy so you never want to play it? Honestly, um, my meta just doesn't play it. We've had close to, I think, eight events, eight, nine events in this uh, GG1 pack, and I don't think any of them have had uh, public enemies in the pool. <laughs> Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make our events because our uh, TOs just tend to prefer the less killy strategies. Hmm. Well, and I would, for me, I would argue it's the weakest of the four or the hmm. least interesting of the four. And yes. uh, the ability to build shut down against it, um, I think in theory sounds great until both opponents are doing it. And it ends up just being a game about schemes, not a game about the, the strategy itself. So Brian, when do you find yourself going, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing Reva? Uh, it's Corrupted Ley Lines is my go-to with her, uh, just because of that mobility. Um, you can just run to the, to the markers, you can score them and not have to worry about, um, not to worry about anything. The, the biggest thing, though, is all the push triggers are in her crew. So Riva has a push trigger on her melee, and then the shield bearers have their two-inch push. So your opponent runs in on one of the ley lines, you just boop them off of it. <laughs> and they can't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Um, so it I can deny your your schemes very, very... E or, I'm sorry, your strategy very easily with Riva, and she can also score it because she's so mobile, right? Um, like, she can go from one marker... And she can charge to the other one, score it, 
and take some swings at you at the same time and do a bunch of damage, right? Mm. Like to me, that is just it's flawless Reba. It's, it's scoring it's efficient and, is what that yeah, is. Oh, yeah, it's so know. great. Um and then obviously recover evidence is really, really good because of um like let's say it models at two health, a shield bear can charge, shield slam them, do drop the marker, push them, and then pick it up. Right. Nice. Um so there, there's a lot of little push tricks that help out with it. Public enemies is great. Um my problem is that Reva's crew, even though they're really tanky, if my opponent focuses on a model, it's going to die, right? Mm-hmm. So if the jogger runs in there and scores and picks up two uh, points, my opponent's just going to dump everything into the jogger and kill it, which will deny me the strategy. So like, yep. they don't stay up well enough for me to want to take her into public enemies. That's where Stuck comes in. Yeah, yeah, he's so good. <laughs> so, Ryan, out of curiosity for you, um, what are some schemes that if you see them in the pool and you've already decided you're going to bring Reva, you, that they're just auto picks? What does she? What schemes does she do? do what schemes does she do well with? The hidden martyr scheme is probably my favorite with her. Interesting, uh, because her models can be tanky. So, uh, if I run two shield bears, I can put. Uh, Gray Spirit touch on them, so they are also terrifying in Region 2 on top of all their other defensive abilities. Um, you've heard me talk about that upgrade a lot because it's, it's a great way, upgrade. Way so, good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you put them in positions where they have to deal with them. They kill one, you score the first point, and then the other one can likely stay up to the end of the game. And they're only six points, so anything that they engage is going to be higher cost and they'll just score the second point. Um, so that one's really good. Research mission obviously stands out because of all the pyre markers. Yep. Um, and so she can summon a corpse candle, kill it. It'll drop a pyre. It'll drop a corpse. And then someone can drop a scheme and score. Right. Um, so that one's very, very easy for her. Uh, I like leave your mark in the pool because of the denial aspect. Um, if you see the leave your mark in the pool, there's a 90% chance your opponent is going to take it because it's so easy to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on her melee is a, trigger which will turn ski markers into course markers so you just whack that thing in the middle and turn its ski marker into a corpse and then you get to score the point and your opponent gets nothing um so that's that's always a lot of fun how about for you uh you you and do you find uh that there's some schemes that you love or is it just the same ones brian mentioned uh, a lot of the same ones. Uh, with Recover, I'm obviously running the Carrion Emissary, so you're adding coffins to that mix of markers. Oh, good call. Even easier to score. Uh, Hidden Martyrs, great shield bearers. Uh, that's one of the schemes that I will always take shield bearers into. Uh, I quite like a Claim Jump, Leave Your Mark pair on Raver. As I mentioned, I, Raver likes forcing the fight to be where she wants it. And if I only need to be in the middle of the board, so say it's recover evidence, claim jump, leave your mark, your opponent has to come to the battlefield that you set up. And yeah. you can make that a very bad place for them to be, uh, which I, I quite like with her. Uh, similarly, let them bleed, I also quite enjoy because of those asymmetrical threats, like Draugr can go get to that model that's on not on damaged health somewhere. Burning is great for just making sure, if you get one burning on every enemy model, you're going to score that second point easily and just the damage. So I really like that them lead on Reva. So you and I'd be curious if someone's playing against Reva, so it's Reva is the declared opponent and they look at their scheme pool. What schemes should they avoid? So is there any schemes that, that Reva and her crew do a hard counter to? 
Uh, you have, uh, Brian's already mentioned, leave your mark. It's yep. just not going to work against her. Um, and things like Take Prisoner and Catch and Release and the second point of Hidden Martyrs. Ravens have got enough ways to move your models and move her own models that if you, if I can predict that, or after you've revealed it, the second point is going to be really, really difficult for you to get. Interesting. Interesting. How about you, Brian? Is there schemes you love your opponent to pick when you're playing Reva? Uh, surprisingly, Assassinate. I love it when they pick Assassinate. Um, because one, that means they're going to focus a lot of attention on Reva, which she's going to be able to defend a lot of that off, uh, which is also why I bring eight stones, right? Is to keep her up because Assassinate's likely in the pool. Um, so they're going to go in hard on her because she's defense five. She doesn't look that great on paper. They can't really get her down. Or if they get her below, she just full heals with her bonus <laughs> and damaging models. And it's like, okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks for the, uh, the point denial, you know? Yep. Um, so assassinate, I think is really, really bad into her unless you can guarantee you can kill her. Um, it, it happens, but it's not often. And then everything else that, that you had mentioned is also true. Um, like take prisoner, you're just going to get out of there. You're going to push away. Um, and then even like breakthrough where you're coming into my deployment zone, please come to my side of the board. With <laughs> like, <laughs> please come to me and then we will, we'll just face off and see what happens. You know, very cool. we've got a lot of fire over here and would love you to come and stay. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the room is warm. Come on in, right? Yeah. <laughs> come join the cult. It's nice and warm in here. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to get to my favorite segment of my deep dives, which is second level play encounters. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifo 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Time to give a shout out to our newest patrons. A big special thanks goes to James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Deck Roll, Aloy, Robo Rotten, Jacob Suderman, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, and David Gadea. Because of you and the 100 plus that are supporting us on Patreon, we're able to put out regular content on a weekly basis. We appreciate it. Not that I'm not excited by every deep dive that i do because i am uh, but this one in particular i've been real excited about and for a few reasons one i'm a reser player um two i've been one of the voices out there that says rev is garbage right now um i've been a little bit transparent in saying that i have not put her on the table since the errata so i'm not a qualified voice to talk about her but i was it was really exciting to me over the last five months to start hearing her discussed and start hearing top players like brian and you and go yeah she's good craig she's good you don't know what you're talking about so um i think at this point 
even without second level play discussions, um, I am excited to get my old Reva finally painted up and, and put her on the table because a strong case is going to be made. But this is really where we're going to close um, things out. So Ewan, um, the first time you play Reva, uh, sounds like there's a lot going on. So there's a learning curve, right? To be able to manage all of the activation orders is going to be important. Managing resources are going to be important. What do you consider um, something that you figure out about Reva after, say, 10 or 15 plays? Uh, movement tricks. We've mentioned them so many times on this podcast already. Uh, shield bearers, pushing your models, pushing your opponents. The the split push is huge. They're being able yep. to do that two-inch and then four-inch movement. Uh, and then Draugr onto your own models. Corpse candles coming out of nowhere and providing a movement vector for a Draugr. One Udo's personal speed. Uh, Raver being able to uh, as Brian mentioned, I mentioned earlier, charge one direction, but attack somewhere else, uh, especially for objective running in symbols, ley lines, evidence. So you can charge to an evidence marker and then kill someone else and then pick it up. Uh, that ability to really look at the board and stop thinking in straight charge lines and, and simple movements, is it takes a bit of practice as a raver, but once you get there, it is beautiful to play. <laughs> um how about for you brian what do you consider kind of the uh the, un the initially unfound or undiscovered aspects of her i mean that, exactly what you just said that that's the biggest thing that you're going to take away after you know 15 20 games is um trying to get those movements just right and understanding that the board is not going to be static with with reeve on the table um another big thing that uh that you're going to figure out as you play her is how critical her corpse candles are for like where you're placing them, where you're dropping your pyre markers, um, how they're moving your models around. Um, so getting your corpse candle play is going to be, is something that you're just going to have to learn how to play correctly. Cause like I said earlier, their defense two willpower to two wound models. They're, they're killed with a plastic bag, you know, like it's, it's nothing. Um, but their placements, their movements, and then also all the burning, right? So when do I ship burning off this model? how am I going to manage my internal burning? Cause obviously you don't want to go over three burning on any model because shielded one, um, except shield bears, but shielded one will knock off most of the, uh, burning on your models. But, uh, if you're on four or five burning, you're going to take a damage and you want right. to try to mitigate that. So as Riva is stripping models, you have to figure out which models you want to actually take the burning off of in order to be the most efficient. So efficiency with her is key. And that's where you're going to find all your second level play is trying to figure out how to make her the most efficient master possible. And once you hit that, uh, she is scary on the other <laughs> side of the table. That's um, great deployment. Good deployment as well as huge for her. Oh, interesting. When you set up that pulse properly on a couple of your models, you are getting nine focus across your crew turn one, if you play it right. And then the burning for positives, Getting that first turn set up sets you up for success on turn two and three, and then your opponent just can't come back from that. So really sitting down, looking at your model choices, looking at where your free corpse markers and your corpse candles are going to get that focus out. Um, if you, when you're playing Raver at a high level, you want to have an understanding of how your deployment has to go, and that's really going to open up just the damage and the pressure she can put out. Yeah, it um, it's something I advocate all the time. You and uh, with everybody, which is um, what you 
when you're playing with a crew and if you in advance already know the pool, who you're going to play and everything, put, put the models on the table when you're by yourself on the kitchen, you know, in the kitchen and, and go through turn one and, and learn where some of the mistakes can be made in deployment, where some of the mistakes turn one can be made in activation order, um, where you can overextend, um, where you can find yourself not being aggressive enough. Those are all things you can do without an opponent on the other side of the table. And it can save you, uh, from making a lot of mistakes. Uh, so you, and I'd be curious if you're playing Reva, mm-hmm. uh, what are some things that your opponent can bring or some things your opponent can do that's going to make your life harder? There's a couple. So resource drain is a problem for her. She is going to be using every resource she has, and she needs them. And she needs a lot of different ones. She needs stones, cards, burning, pyres, and corpses. All of those are fulfilling a different function for her. And if you find a way to remove one of them, it's going to be a real big problem. Uh, Offensive condition removal and mass marker removal can be really Mm. big. Uh, there is one place where those two things come out in abundance, and that would be Pandora. I hate playing against Pandora with Reva. I've done it once, and never want to do it again. <laughs> uh, to be fair, that's just for playing against Pandora in general, but still. Yeah. Um, anything that can really mess with that, that efficiency that you have to set up to get to next level Reva play, you break that down, and it can be very difficult for her to get the engine started again. How about for you, Brian? Yeah, so I agree with all that. You know, if you can offensively remove her conditions or even use her burning against her, that helps a ton. Um, Marker removal plays a big role. Uh, So, like, I will not run Reva or Reva into Bayou anymore Mm. because they just frame the lucky emissary and they just run over all my markers and remove everything, right? So anything that can mass remove course markers or pyro markers or anything like that is just going to be a really, really, really bad day for her. Um, and her cards are so important. Like she has four models in, in her keyword that, um, that discard cards to do effects, right? You know, take the hit, the juggernaut, the lamp head heal and Vince's rapid fire. So, I mean, she could be pitching four to six cards a turn and she doesn't have those resources. No master yep. really has those resources to just get rid of. And she has no inherent card draw. So if you can do things that can make her discard more cards, it's going to, make her so much less efficient and it's going to hurt her a ton. Cause I mean, even that, that one or two in her hand, she's going to end up using at some point for something. Um, so the, the, those are the big things. And then uh, explorers is she, I think she's going to be really afraid of explorers. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? So. Uh, yeah. I, you know, Actually. I'm not, yeah, sorry. No, but, go ahead. Uh, I'm not as worried about explorers. Um, but Reva in particular, they have a lot of marker removal. Right. And because of that, she I, I don't think she sees a table if someone declares explorers. Interesting. Well, that is a wonderful little segue. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I'm going to take advantage of a few things. One, it's mid-December when we're recording this. So the Explorer book has just dropped recently. Uh, we had just recently released the uh, Insider Insights with Matt and Kyle talking about Explorers. So it's a bit of a hot topic. And I've got two top-level players. So we're going to talk about Explorers. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. 
crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. All right. So the hot takes that we saw when Explorers was released is, you know, these are guys are going to break stuff. Um, how did it get out of play testing? Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of interfaction balance. You've got some real strong stuff, some real weak stuff. Um, I think everybody who listens know that I'm uh, I'm not a big fan of hot takes. Um, I think that nobody knows what Explorers does. Even if you're a play tester, you still don't know what they do because you haven't played them enough. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see where Explorers settle a year from now. But that being said, Brian, when you uh, – may have played against explorers um, or have at least gone through the book. Is there a particular keyword in explorers that uh, you go, boy, I am not looking forward to playing against this. <laughs> yeah. It's probably gonna be the Cadmus keyword. Um, that keyword is terrifying. Um, I'm sure that there's, there's a way to beat it. I just need to sit down, grind a couple games against it. Um, I've already I've played a game against Cadmus against uh, apex and against, um uh, against jedza whatever he a uh, seeker the seeker keyword um and cadmus is probably the worst of the three that i played against um their what ability that you hate the the parasite ability is just awful um so essentially they their models can give you a parasite token which then lets them count you as a friendly model for their abilities and one of their abilities that every model has is they can pitch a damage to a friendly model within four inches. <laughs> so you smack them for two damage and they push one of those damages right back on you. So you have to hit them hard. You have to hit them fast. Um, but that that's where I think that they're going to be terrifying. Other than that, I'm not too worried about explorers as a whole. Um, it seems like a faction of glass cannons. None of their masters have real defensive tech. Like there, there's not a single one that's like, Oh, you have armor. Oh, you have, this crazy cool healing or, you know, it, there, there's nothing in their faction that goes, my master is going to be hard to kill. So cool. you literally just have to punch them hard. Um, unless they have, which everyone's going to run the emissary, which is defense seven, take the hit. Um, so a- as a whole, I'm not too worried about them, but I think that everyone just needs to get, you know, five or 10 games and it's each master and each keyword and figure out, okay, here's how the interactions work and here's how I need to play against it. And we're just not there yet. No, we're not. No, I completely not agree. Not even close. Are, are you going to get sucked in? Uh, is there some money in your wallet that's going to be spent on Explorers? Surprisingly, no. Oh, um, wow. they, they look cool, uh, but I, I don't like playing the the new hotness because um, everyone's going to be playing it, so I try to avoid it. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to switch over to Guild is my current thought, <laughs> which I know is surprising. Like <laughs> yeah, the exact opposite of hotness. Um, but Guild is a glass cannon. They output a lot of damage, which I think is going to be really key in these early games against Explorers as people are figuring them out. So, like for the World Gosh, Cup, cool. switch over to Guild 
and just do so much damage as people are trying to figure out their crews and just punch through it. So, yeah. And I'll tell you, people, you know, when they talk guild or they say, well, is it guild or is it Dashiell? And I make that joke too, right? Because Dashiell is phenomenal. He's a, he's a good master. Oh, he's he's a standout in, in guild, but um, uh, I'll be very interested what people think when uh, they start seeing Perdita some more, which I think will happen because of the deep dive. Um, I think Lady Justice doesn't get talked about enough. I think Lady oh. Justice and that keyword has play. Um, and quite frankly, the silence around Nelly blows my mind. Oh, oh and it's insane. Oh, it's Nelly, Nelly is good. Yeah. And especially now she's a little niche, right? You need the right pool. But boy, in the right pool, Nelly is 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 I, I don't understand the silence around her. I really don't. Uh, I think the the fear about Guild is there's no one or two masters that does everything well. Yep. And so in order to play Guild well, you have to know four or five different masters really, really well Good and point. say, OK, this pool is specifically for these two masters. And then you have to pick the right master. Mm-hmm. Um Dashiell is obviously the most talked about one because he can fit into most pools. Yep. Uh, whereas the other masters are all niche masters. So, well, and maybe it'll, it might be out by the time this is released, but as of right now, we just found out that we're going to get a second version of Sonya, which I am dying to see. Oh, mm. I cannot wait. Although I like the current Sonya. Um, oh, really? uh, her with the new Pale Rider is just broken, and she gets Spell Eaters now. Um, which is a whole other addition to her faction or her yep. keyword. Um, um, but surprisingly, so actually I played against uh, Andre running Apex with Sonia okay. and she got into a shooting match with Lord Cooper and took him off the board. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, now, if you were playing a good player, would the same thing have happened? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oof. Oof. Uh, I always have heard that one. Shit. <laughs> Poor Andre. But- my biggest problem with Andre is he's really good and he's a good dude. I need I need you to be one or the other. You can't be both. <laughs> you, have, you have to be good and a jerk, or you have to be a nice guy and suck. Um, but that's not true for Andre, unfortunately. How about it's you? Your Nick Westbrook. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, just, like, Nick is nice. He's not good at the game, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> actually, get credit to Nick, man. He had quite a little bit of run against. Uh, uh, what was a recent event there? He was taking out the UK players left and right. He was a oh, yeah. boy. I think he he won his game game against Matt Lewin and won his yeah. game against Jamie Varney. Yeah, um, you can beat both of them, and I don't care if both you know I don't care if uh, both Matt and uh, Varney were blindfolded and uh, had all the markers turned upside down. Beating those guys is a, is a big deal. So uh, he's done a lot better. Um, but I mean, he grinds so many games, and just when you're grinding, you're you're going to figure out how to play this game. You're going to have a hard time finding a human being that's played more Malifaux in the last five months than Nick Westbrook. I mean, this my, is true. Yeah, my man gets his in. And, and him improving to the point where he's improved is a testament to something I preach, which is the only way to get better at Malifaux is to play. Um, and uh, anytime you hear somebody having a discussion about something that they haven't played or played against, then don't listen to them because the, the game is not – it's not Magic the Gathering. I can talk about – a deck without playing against it by looking at the cards. You cannot talk about Malifaux if you haven't played it or played against it. And I'm, I, I, I live and die by that. Yep. hundred um, percent agree. Ewan, how about you? Is there something in uh, Explorers that's scaring the hell out of you? Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, on the topic we were just going on, I've been playing a lot of guilds lately myself. Top three masters that I've been playing have been Padita, Lady J and Nelly. Nice. Um, yeah. I've actually been loving Nelly into recover evidence. She is crazy at that. 
I I have this one fond memory of nuking a hanged for nine damage on one Ooh. attack with her. Just because all of my evidence markers were on the ground, but he had not picked up a single one. Wow. That's um, incredible. Oh, she's great. Lady J and Panita too. Dashel's ridiculous, but he's Dashel. Anyone yeah, who has three focus, 24-inch executioner, unactivated 10-1 is a problem. No, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I know that uh, Varney's been goofing around a little bit with Guild. Um, you know, there's there's you guys are not the only two people that are are going. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna see what's there and see um, if uh, the whiny Guild players have something to really whine about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um but let's let's talk explorers. You and now I know from my understanding you went to an event and played explorers with just Bass and McCabe. Is that right? I did. I did. Um. In terms of things, so you mentioned this earlier, and I won't talk about it too much because I don't have my NDA in front of me, but um, I have been involved in the playtest for Explorers pretty much the whole way. Um, Cadmus and EVS, I am, I think I'm going to be really strong. Uh, Brian's already talked a lot about Cadmus and their potential. Uh, and what we've talked about today in card and resource management, EVS's keyword ability is a good player with that is going to be able to make good use of their cards. And I think that's going to be something that the more Explorers get played, the more EVS is going to move to the forefront. Uh, but Bass, my boy Bass, uh, he's just gotten better and yeah, better. Yeah, he's gotten some good tools. He didn't need it. Uh, I've played 22-ish games with Bass, I think. I have drawn two and lost to none. That's amazing. Oh, my God. That's impressive. Well, it's impressive because he's being poo all the time. Like, he's such an incredible master. And the Sandworm alone, and then the Rough Riders, they've added so much to him. I, the Sandworm is... I'm so excited, A, because a centerpiece model like the Sandworm is just going to be... <laughs> touch, touch my heart. I'm going to love that thing. But it's <laughs> really opened... It's covered a lot of weaknesses they had. And a good bass player before could wipe you by turn three a good bass player now maybe late turn two interesting very interesting yeah those uh those sandworms are 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 pretty nuts i mean they're they're so nuts that it looks like they could almost come from australia oh yeah no definitely <laughs> represent, man. oh my god jaws of the beast alone i just went out back and i've been practicing with those things like real life version to immerse myself in his law you have two in your backyard oh, yeah, no, the snakes oh that's great uh, well gentlemen i appreciate you taking the time it's like i said i've been really looking forward to this i've been really excited about having you both back on the show um and uh we're about to record again next week with a, a very exciting topic which uh, i don't know if it'll come out before or after this one based on um how i pace out the releases but uh real quick you and you have any uh, shout outs or plugs uh definitely like to shout out my local community we got a lot of people here uh rebecca and jane from the last podcast uh joshua loomis is currently running a uh, wacky Malafox League, where each round there's a different modifier. We've had a round where we that. weren't allowed to have soul stones. We've had a round where uh, we had no strategy, but we had seven schemes in the pool and had to pick four of them. Uh, lots of weird modifiers have been great fun. We've got a local henchman, Matt, and just a bunch of great people here have been pushing event after event after event, which has really gotten us all on the gaming tables. 
Yeah, I'm, 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 Matt and I are good buddies. He's, he's, he's a great guy. I think he's great for the game. Um, uh, you, I, It's impossible not to have a Malifaux conversation with Matt and not get excited about the game. The guy just <laughs> loves the game and his, his enthusiasm oh, is, is, is He's infectious. recently been trying to do 30 games in 30 days, and I don't know whether he achieved it, but he's been trying. He's uh, he's stressed out about it. I get a ping from him almost every day with a kind of an update on his status. And some days he's feeling pretty good about it. And then other days he's like, it's not going to happen, Craig. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> That's great. How about for you, Brian? Any uh, plugs or shout outs? I uh, just shout out to my local meta. You know, we, we play a lot of games. We, uh, we talk a lot of crap, but you know, they're all a bunch of good guys. Um, and then obviously thank you for everything you do, Craig. I really appreciate it. Thanks man. I appreciate that. All right. Well, for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. So you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the USFO tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next US Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. Um, We heard mostly Brian was the last voice. So you and I'm going to start with you again on second level play. You good with that? I just talked to you. Sorry. No, no. Honestly, it's been good. I think you again. You guys, you guys are doing just fine. Um, and Brian, I'm going to edit out half the bullshit you're put, spitting out anyway. So uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That's trash. Yeah, cut, 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 cut. <laughs> My first 15 minute deep dive. Um, all right. Um, all right. So how do I want to bring? He just uses emissary. He's trash. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll probably start with you, Ewan. Um, typically, what we do here is let's find the strategy that she's the best at, which means she beats everybody else in Rezzers, Um, and then maybe discuss a second one where you consider her, um, and then we'll bounce to Brian. Does that sound good? No worries. It's so hard with Stuck. Stuck can do all these by well, himself. And, and that's actually what's going to be part of my opening is that, you know, the, the worst thing, the worst thing that happens to Reva is that Von Stuck exists. So, you know, where, where do we find Reva beating out Stuck as, as the, as the true optimal master? So that's how I probably start things. All right. I'll bring us back. I can hear you typing, Brian, and you're a fast motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta be in IT. Exactly. <laughs> mm.
<laughs> I had a manager that finger pecked, and I was like, I don't know how you do that and work this job. It makes oh, no sense. I don't know how you would either. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.